Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. Uh, we are in the next to the last sermon on the flock. Uh, we've been looking at this passage where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, uh, what that means about him, what that means about us. And we've got this morning, which would be the, the shepherd's heart, part one. And then we're going to finish it up next week with uh, part two before Dr. Rick Brewer comes on the 19th and, and preaches uh, to us, shares God's word with us. Did you ever work at a place where it was clear who was the owner and who was the employee? And I don't mean just, you know, the way they dressed. I'm talking about their actions. Most of us. Um, the difference between an owner and an employee is often very stark. Uh, I worked at... Uh, Domino's for years and years and years, and every Domino's I ever worked at um, were privately owned. Uh, you, you can you buy into the franchise. A couple of them that I worked at were small ownerships. One was the largest franchisee in the country, but the other a couple others that I worked for were were small, owned three, four, five stores, maybe maybe seven or eight stores. Uh, it, the difference was night and day between when an employee was there and, and when Brian, the owner, was there working and doing stuff. And I'm not just talking about the way the employees acted and what they did while the owner was there. I'm talking specifically about the way the owner took care of the place. He owned these buildings, or at least leased them, uh, so he was responsible for them. He was responsible for the product that go, was going out. If people weren't buying his food, we could, you know, ostensibly go and get another job somewhere. He was going to lose his business. The, the, the way that, that the owner responds and works is almost always, now you, you have some good employees that feel invested in the company, but unfortunately that's, that's rare. Uh, do a quick Google search. Uh, for, you know, employees acting out or something like that, and you quickly find um, altered meal items, and I'll, I'll let your imagination fill that one in, uh, baths and sinks um, at the, the, the store, the restaurant, stolen goods, destroyed property from employees. An owner is meticulous. And an employee is, or at the very least can be, careless. And I don't mean just careless like they don't do that. I mean, they just don't care. Well, that's the image that Jesus gives us here in these uh, four verses we're going to look at. Chapter 10 of John, verses 11 through 13. We get the contrast between the owner and the employee. Or as Jesus says it, the good shepherd and the hireling. That's the, the, the dichotomy that Jesus is setting up here. Jesus says, and I start in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. 
This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. The Savior's, or the shepherd's heart, part one. That's what we're looking at. Part two is going to be, you guessed it, the uh, verses following, where Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. But that's what he brings, that's how he opens it up today. I am the good shepherd. Just a few minutes before, at least, you know, in, in their time, or actually just a few seconds, he says, I'm the gate, I'm the door to the fold where the sheep come in. Now he is the shepherd. He's, he is using every metaphor possible to get them to understand the relationship that we are to have with the, the shepherd. What, what are we as sheep? How do we respond to Jesus as the shepherd? He is getting them to come along with him and understand who he is and who we are in relationship to him. He says, I'm the good shepherd in verse, uh, the first part of verse 11. Why good? He doesn't add the qualifier to when he says, uh, that when he's the gate or, or, or the door. He doesn't say, I'm the good gate. I'm the good door. Why does he say good here? Well, well first of all, he's, he's responding now or, or explaining now himself as someone more intimately involved than just the gate or just the door. He's not just the way. He is the way in. He's more than that. And everything that Jesus does is good. And we could camp out here for, for quite some time, I think. Because there, there are days when we all struggle with the idea that everything Jesus does is good. Because we've got some blanks we could fill in following an if. If Jesus is really good, then blank. And I understand that. And, and we could spend hours talking about that, and, and we would come up with probably no solution to your blank. No real reason, maybe, that we can see why what you're going through is what you are going through. But what we can always come back to, and this is the beauty of the blank. This is the beauty of the situation, that no matter what that is, we can always come back to the fact that Jesus is good. That is our only hope. That is the only thing that gets us through the day most days. Yes, this happens, but Jesus is good. He says, I am the good shepherd. Primarily here, he is contrasting himself with the thieves and the robbers that he talks about in uh, verse 10 and others, the, the, the false shepherds that he gets to in the previous passage. He's saying, unlike those that have come to steal and kill and destroy or steal and slaughter and destroy, like we talked about last time, under, unlike the false shepherds that would lead you astray and take you down paths you shouldn't go and would promise green pastures but only take you to a spiritual famine, unlike those, I am good. I will never do that. I will never come to steal and kill and destroy. I will never come to hurt you. I will never come to do you ill. I will never come to lead you on a path you shouldn't be on. I will not take you where you shouldn't go. You can trust me because I am the good shepherd. 
in contrast with those thieves and robbers and false shepherds. Another way to translate this would be to say uh, real or genuine. Oftentimes, Jesus would say things like, I am the true vine, and he would qualify it with true. That good here qualifies it in the same way. He is the real, he is the genuine shepherd. He is a model for what all shepherds should be. He is the model for, he is the perfect example, the perfect representation of whom we should follow. He is the one that we should follow. That word also, good here, can be translated not just the way we use it as good, but also as useful or beautiful. He is the beautiful shepherd. He is the useful shepherd. He is the shepherd to which we are attracted. He is the shepherd uh, that which we must follow. I don't think that sentence worked grammatically. He is that shepherd which we must follow. There we go. He is useful. He is purposeful. We find purpose in following the shepherd. We find our goal in life in following the shepherd. We find out who we are when we follow the shepherd. We only find our true identity as a part of the flock, find following the good, useful, beautiful, real, genuine shepherd. That's us as sheep. That is the flock of Jesus. That is our calling. That is our responsibility. The other thing Jesus does here in this one passage, this one phrase, I am the good shepherd, is he equates himself with God, the God of the Old Testament. Over and over and over, God is referred to as the shepherd. Israel as his sheep, the sheep of his hand. Over and over and over. And there's the hint here. It kind of gets lost to, to us probably when he was speaking Greek, if that's what he was speaking to him. If he were speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, they might have heard this, this echo of I am that God said when he talked to Moses from the burning bush. I mean, I almost envision Jesus standing before his disciples, standing before, uh, in this case, the Pharisees who have kicked out the man who was kicked out of the synagogue, the man who was healed by Jesus. I can almost hear him saying, I am. And everybody going, wait, so I'm going to follow this? And then he follows it with a description that doesn't take away the fact that he just said, I am, but actually builds on it and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd of the Old Testament. I am the God that you have worshipped for these couple of thousand years. It's me, I'm him. And just in case they ever missed it, later on, when he's talking to them, uh, talking to folks who don't want to hear the truth from him, he says, y'all follow Abraham, you do everything you think you're supposed to do to be good uh, children of Abraham, but let me tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So he takes the, the, that, if, if they were at all ambivalent or confused, or maybe he didn't say that, eventually he's going to let them know, yeah, I did say that. He is God. He has the heart of God. He has the mind of God. He has the goals and purpose of God because he is God, and therefore, as God, he stands before us and says, I am the good shepherd, follow me and no one else. Then he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
And then he says, the good shepherd. Now, it's interesting here what he does. There's, there's a, 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 a more definite feel to that first phrase. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he gets them to come along with him as he describes what they would consider a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, the good shepherd, as you understand them, I am the good shepherd, capital G, capital S. But the good shepherd, lowercase g, lowercase s, this relating to them what is known of shepherds, this typical idea of shepherds, he's going to compare himself right here. He's going to, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. Let me tell you what you expect of a good shepherd. In your world, what does a good shepherd do? Well, he goes on to tell them, a good shepherd or the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, we could translate that better based on what we know of, of the passage and shepherds of the time. Not that he lays down his life, but that he risks his life for the sheep. Now, Michael, what's the difference? I'm glad you asked. The shepherd owns and cares for the sheep. They are his livelihood. The, the guy I worked for at Domino's, he owned those businesses, some of the buildings he actually owned. He would risk his life. If that building was on fire, he would risk his life to go in and spray down the walls and get the fire extinguisher and try to keep that building from burning. But he wouldn't go into that building as it burned and said, well, the building's going, I'm going to sit down and burn up with it. There's, there's a point that he wouldn't go to. The shepherd, th these are my sheep, this is my livelihood. I will risk my life for it. If something attacks the sheep, I'm going to get between me and the sheep. But when it looks like I am done, there is nothing I can do if the wolves outnumber me and all I'm going to succeed in doing is dying with my sheep, he's not going to stand there and die just because his sheep are dying. Jesus is setting us up. And we're not going to resolve that today. Not fully. And he doesn't resolve it until the next paragraph. So that's why we're not going to resolve it until next Sunday. He's setting us up because Jesus knows that the flock owner would not intentionally die for his sheep. Maybe you're pretty smart and you're thinking, oh, I know where he's going with this. Shh, don't tell the person next to you. Even the best shepherd will only go so far. The very best, lowercase g, lowercase s, good shepherd will only go so far. And, and then there's a line that he, he wouldn't cross. Capital G, capital S, shepherd. Would he cross that line? Next week. He goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd, or he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, risks his life for his sheep, but now he compares it even further. So we've got three levels here. The good shepherd, good shepherds, verse 12, hired hand employees taking baths and sinks in Burger King. It wasn't local Burger King. I didn't just throw sulfur Burger King under the bus. Don't worry about that. 
uh, but it was, was a Burger King if you, if you Google it. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them, runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. See, the hired hand has no investment in the flock. He just works there. The sheep are gone. There's a shepherd down the road I can work for. Sorry, dude. No sheep. Too bad. He only truly cares about himself. That's all the hired hand cares about. It's only about him. When things start going sideways, he's gone. He's out of here. The Old Testament is full of such leaders. Over and over and over we see in the Old Testament leaders who led falsely. We see prophets who didn't tell them God's word, told them what they wanted to hear, told them what they would make them feel good. We see kings who only served, uh, lived to serve themselves, only lived to see their kingdom serve themselves and not lead the kingdom as David did, or David did mostly, or as David was supposed to, but instead, what can the kingdom do for me, not what I can do for the kingdom and what can the kingdom do for, for Yahweh? They, over and over and over, the hired hands left the people, left the flock when the wolves were coming. Interesting about shepherd or, or, or hirelings, as your translation may say, hired hands, they were not required to repay the shepherd if the sheep got destroyed, eaten, killed by wild beasts. They weren't responsible. I mean, there was, there was a law that said the hired hand does not have to repay the shepherd for attacked livestock. If I don't have to pay for it, if it doesn't cost me anything, am I going to risk my neck, risk my life for something that, if it's gone, doesn't hurt me? That's what Jesus is telling us here. That the hired hand doesn't care. It's all about himself. It's all about me, myself, and I. How can I protect myself? How does this situation benefit me, not the flock? And he goes on to say that the flock is destroyed for lack of concern. He leaves them. He runs away when he sees a wolf. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. We, we get some of the same imagery as when he said that the thief comes to steal and slaughter and destroy. Same thing happens, whether it's a, a human thief in that first example or in this example, a wolf after the flock. The end result is the same when the shepherd isn't being followed, when the shepherd isn't in charge, when it's been left to the hired hand who does not care. And this was often Jesus's concern, Jesus's worry. Jesus didn't worry. This is what he saw coming in his own church, in his own flock, among his own disciples. In Matthew 26, 31, he tells them that when he is taken in, when he is captured, when, he is, when the shepherd is, is imprisoned, the sheep will scatter. Matthew 26, 31, uh, he tells them in Matthew 10, 16, when he sends them out to do missionary work. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Parallel passage in Luke 10, verse 3. 
Acts talks about how they were, Paul uh, talks about how they were sheep among wolves. It's a common phrase, a common refrain, and it was one that Jesus prepared us for. You are going out into a, a group of people that do not care for you, do, will, will, are not concerned about your well-being. When you need support, when you need love, when you are looking for the one that you should follow, you should only look to the good shepherd and no one else. When it's, when it's horrible, when it's bad, when you're being attacked on all sides, it's the good shepherd that will stand by you and risk his life. Okay, I'll go ahead and give away the punchline. Will actually lay down his life for you. Not anybody else. So, we see this preliminary good shepherd example that he gives us before he expands on it even further in verses 14 through 18. I think we see some very, very applicable points to church leadership here. Remember when we, when we began this uh, study in uh, verses 1 through 6, we we talked about church leadership and how the shepherd and the under-shepherd and the flock coexist, how they work together. We see three different types of leaders here. We see the good shepherd, we see good shepherds, and we see the hired hand. Let's start from the bottom and work our way up. For the church today, the hired hand is those with no investment in the church. No investment in the flock of Jesus, and they run at the first sign of trouble. Let me tell you right now, do not depend on them. The hired hand is not where we put our faith. The hired hand is not where we put our trust. These are those that when things go wrong or don't go the way they'd like, they're gone. And whatever happens to the church is fine. It doesn't matter as long as they don't have to be there when it happens. Do not follow them. There is no commitment to the flock. There is only a selfishness and a serve-me attitude. I've said it before, and I will say it numerous times. The church is not here to serve anyone sitting in this pew. The church is not here to serve a person. The church is here to serve the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is here to take the gospel to people who don't have it. This is... As I used the example, I believe, last week. This is where we come and we get fired up for the mission that we go out there for. This isn't where we come and relax and get away from the world. This is where we come so that we are prepared to take the gospel to the world. We must realize that our commitment to Jesus means we are not committed to what we get when we come here, but what it is that we take to the world out there. That's what the church is called to do. And the hirelings don't care about that. They don't care about the mission. And we, though we are all of the flock, here's, here's the brilliance of Jesus, and that seems like that's redundant. Well, of course he's brilliant, but yeah, he, he, the way he could say something, use a metaphor, use an example, use symbolism, and slap us twice with it, not just once, but twice across the face, though we are all of the flock, every one of us, we are also responsible to the flock, every one of us. We are both the sheep and the hired hand. We both fill that position. 
or we all rather fill, fill that position. We all have a responsibility. Every sheep has a responsibility to the rest of the sheep in the flock. And when the sheep decide that they are nothing more than a hired hand that can leave when they don't like things, then they are not the ones that we should be following. The hired hand is not the leader. The second level of leadership we see is good shepherds. Lowercase g, lowercase s. These are the under-shepherds. The pastor is the under-shepherd. But there are other shepherds of the flock. Other staff, ministerial staff are shepherds, under-shepherds. Deacons serve often as under-shepherds. Sunday school teachers, there are leaders in the church. They may be great. Hopefully they all are. There may be great attempts by the shepherds, the under-shepherds, the good, lowercase, lowercase, shepherds, to protect the flock, but they will only go so far. Do not depend on them. Do not depend on me. Now, I'm not abdicating my responsibility in any way to be the under-shepherd to the church that God has called me to be, but what I'm telling you is that the best human will fail you. And I'm not even the best human. I will fail you. The shepherds of this church, the under-shepherds of this church, they will fail you because they are human. The good shepherd, a good shepherd, is never supposed to take the place of the good shepherd. I've heard people talk about how wonderful their pastors are, and I follow, gee, I follow this pastor, and boy, when he says it, I believe it, and you know, whatever he says, I do, and, and he rules with an iron fist, etc., etc., etc. That is not the biblical model of the church. That is not what we are called to do. Some say, Paul said, some say I'm of Apollos. Some say I'm of Paul. I'm going to paraphrase. No, we're all supposed to be of Jesus. We have shepherds. We have under-shepherds. We have leadership. But the leadership will fail you. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how called they are to that position. They will fail you. So that brings us to our third level of leadership. The good shepherd, the capital G, capital S, will never leave his flock. Depend on him. He will never leave you. He will never say, I'm done. I've had enough. I can no longer stand these stubborn sheep. He will never say, I've given you all I can, and you're not just not listening, so I'm out of here. That will never be the good shepherd. Jesus will never leave you. The beauty of the good shepherd, though, is he will discipline the absolute mess out of you if you're not following him. And it may be that some of the best under shepherds you've ever had leave because you wouldn't follow the good shepherd it may be that hirelings will come in and lead falsely because you would not let lead or you would not follow the good shepherd it may be the case the good shepherd will discipline he will prune he will cut back he will take away, he will do away with, and sometimes he will shut the doors in order to get his flock where it needs to be. Do not despise the disciplining of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord. 
because those whom he loves, he also disciplines. The good shepherd will never leave you. Of the first two leaders, I'll ask you this morning, which one are you? Are you a hired hand that at the first sign of the flock, not doing what you want the flock to do, not being in a position you want them to be in, looks like trouble, looks like it's not going to work out, I'm out of here, see ya, deuces. Is that you? Are you a leader? Are you an under-shepherd that you need to be more like the good shepherd than you've ever thought you had to be because you realize the weight, the, the, the intense scrutiny, but also the, the incredible call and your own personal inability to be anything like the good shepherd. So you need to recalculate. You need to recalibrate. You need to rework, replan, back up, and say, I'm going to be more like Jesus. Is that you? Good. But more importantly, maybe the biggest question, is whom do you trust? Are you looking to other sheep? Well, this sheep said this, and that sheep said that, and the other sheep were talking about these other things. Are you looking to the under-shepherd? Well, I don't like that he says that, and I don't like the way he says the, does these other things, and but I don't think he's really supposed to be here, and, and, and he's not all that perfect anyway. Duh. Because you're looking at the wrong people. You're looking in the wrong direction. Marriage. Emerson Egrich has a, a wonderful uh, study on marriage, weekends and all this kind of thing, and, and it's called... Uh, love and respect, thank you, just completely left me. Love and respect. And, and, and the analogy that he uses is when you and your spouse are, are discussing, and we'll put discussing in quotation marks, discussing something, or at any time really, you look past your spouse and you see Jesus. And so that everything that you say and do is a response not to the spouse who is imperfect, but to Jesus who is perfect. And what Jesus has called you to be as a spouse. I'm going to take his analogy and say the same thing as a flock, as a sheep. When you are discussing with the sheep or even good shepherds, the only person you should be looking at is the good shepherd. How does my word here, or how do my words, how do my actions reflect the good shepherd? When I'm saying this, when I'm doing this, am I saying it to Jesus? Is it okay that I'm saying these words and the good shepherd's looking at me? Would I say the same thing to the good shepherd? Would I act the same way to the good shepherd? Would I make the same remark? Because I'm not interested in that person. I am. I love that person. We're supposed to be unified as a church, as a flock, etc. But my goal, my purpose in life is not to please him or her, but Jesus. So with everything that I do and everything that I say, I look beyond what's in front of me and see Jesus behind them. The good shepherd. That's my focus. That's who I'm following. That's who I'm ministering to. That's who I'm listening to. 
whom do you trust? The hired hand will leave you. The under-shepherd will fail you. The good shepherd will never do either. The good shepherd will stay with you forever. Depend on him. How do I depend on him? Let me tell you how you first need to depend on him. I really wish, I, I told somebody this last week, I wish I could preach the whole Bible every week. Because I'm leaving stuff out. And it's just the nature of the beast. It's just the way it is. I want to preach from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing, every week. But that's why y'all have to come back next week. That's why you can't come to one church service and, oh, I'm good. Whew. No, it is a layer upon layer upon layer of the foundation that we build our lives upon, that foundation of God's word. So I'm going to have to stop and say, how do you depend on him? There are a lot of ways. A lot of ways in your life that you need to depend on him. A lot of ways we'll cover over the months, uh, the weeks, the months, the years. But this morning, now, I need to tell you that you may need to make that first dependence on him. He's not your shepherd unless you're part of the flock. You're not his automatically. You see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By our sinfulness, we are outside of the fold, outside of the flock. We are not his sheep. We are not God's, we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. We are God's enemies in sin. Those are, that's the issue of sin. And because of that, we will die. We will be punished. We will get the ultimate discipline of eternal death. Separation from God. That's the wages. That is what we deserve. We deserve nothing else. You cannot earn anything else. You can't be good enough. You can't wipe your own slate clean, so quit trying. Your wages is death, and that's the end of it. Except it's not. There was a gift given, a singular gift, one gift, one door, one way, one truth to the one life. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have the solution to the sin. We have the very one upon whom we need to depend. We have the very thing, the very act, the very person who can take away the sin issue. That is Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. God proved it. He proved his love for us. He proved how much he wanted a relationship. He proved how much he wanted us to be a part of his flock how much he wanted us to follow his good shepherd in that while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. He, he's going to say that here next week in the next passage. He's going to make it clear. The good shepherds, they'll risk their lives for you, but the good shepherd is going to lay down his life for you. you we have the ultimate wolf nipping at our heels howling in our background, and Jesus says, I'm going to get between you and him, not just to defend you, not just to scare him away, but I'm going to let him kill me, thinking he has won some great victory, when in fact, the victory was won by Jesus, not by Satan. You can know victory through the good shepherd. Will you follow him? He proved it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for me hard-headed, 
stupid, outside-of-the-fold sheep, earning nothing but a sinner's death and a Christless hell. Everyone, everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. There's nobody in this room, there's nobody that's listening to me right now that is outside of the reach of the good shepherd. That, that, that shepherd's crook, that, that uh, staff that he's got, he can, he can reach any one of us if we will call on him, if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Will you follow the good shepherd? Don't follow the hirelings. Don't follow the false shepherds. They will lie to you, to your face, and enjoy it just to see your misery. Don't follow the under-shepherds. I will get it wrong. I will tell you wrong things. I will be mistaken. I will go the wrong direction. Follow Jesus. The good shepherd will never fail you. Never fail you. We want to follow the good shepherd, and, and we that we, we have the leadership that meets and prays and, and looks for the next step and what God is doing. But we will fail. Jesus will never fail. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that though we may try with all our might, we can neither save ourselves we can do nothing about our sin problem. God, as, as sheep of the flock, we struggle. We hurt. We sin. And God, we, we want to be good examples. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to uh, be able to say, as Paul did, look at me and follow me. But even Paul understood, Lord, that, that it wasn't him, it was, it was Jesus. And so today, God, we pray that our eyes will be on the good shepherd. In our relationships with other sheep, our eyes will be on the good shepherd. In our relationships with leadership of the church, our eyes will be on the good shepherd. And God, as we examine our lives today, and maybe we find that we're not a part of the fold. We are not a part of the flock. We're, we're on the outside looking in. We pray, I pray, that today that someone here will say, I want to follow the good shepherd. I want to be a part of that flock. Lord, draw them this morning. Work in their hearts and their lives. And God, where we fail as under shepherds, as leadership, as sheep, restore us, forgive us, and Lord, where we follow you, where we did it, get it right, God, work through us to see your kingdom come on earth. In these quiet moments, I pray that you would break, soften, hard hearts hearts of bitterness, hearts of anger, hearts of fear, 
hearts of depression, hearts that of pride, hearts of self-reliance and self-dependence, all to look to you to say, we will only follow the good shepherd. And if that means following those that he has put in leadership among us, then we follow. And if that means that we go to the hard places, we follow. If that means we make the hard decisions, we follow. If that means if we struggle and we experience pain and loss beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, we follow. Because you, Jesus, as our shepherd, are always good. We rest in that promise. We rest in your self-description. Sheep, happy to be a part of this flock. Joyful that you are our shepherd. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? You've heard God's word. It has spoken to you, I pray. What do you decide? There's a response. There's a decision that each of us needs to make. Maybe you need to follow Christ for the first time. Maybe you, you just know you're not a part of the flock. You've, you've not made that commitment to him, and you want to do that this morning. I pray that you would come and let me talk to you and, and share that with me. Maybe you've become a part of the flock. You've followed Christ. You've trusted him as your Savior, but you need to follow in obedience in baptism. Make that decision. Come and make that public. Maybe you have other decisions to make. The altar is open for you. Maybe, maybe you need to realize your hireling status needs to become a leader status. Maybe you need to reject what you have been and be what God has called you to be. Those decisions are yours. They can't be mine. But I can pray with you if you'd like that. Or you can pray here on your own. Donald, come and lead us in song. Let's stand, let's worship, and let's do business with God this morning.